We continue our reading in James, which in every chapter provides new challenges in the way we live our Christian lives. Reading today is from James chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. Submit yourselves to God. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God, or enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So before Chris comes to speak to us, shall we pray? Father, we come before you with open hearts and minds ready to receive the message you have prepared for us. We ask that you speak to us through your servant, Chris. May we be receptive to your guidance and transformed by the truth of your word. We pray that Chris will be filled with your spirit and that you anoint his words. May we be inspired and equipped to live a life that is pleasing to you. We thank you for this opportunity to come together as a community and for the gift of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if we could just have the first slide up, please. There we go. What causes fights and arguments amongst you? That's the, that's the opening of this passage today. I wonder how you'd answer that question. Think back to the last disagreement you had with someone. Perhaps it was this morning. Perhaps it was maybe a few days ago at least. Perhaps it was a spouse, a friend, a work colleague, or perhaps it was someone from church. What was the cause of that fallout? You know, often it's a feeling that we've been wronged in some way. Or perhaps it's because we didn't get what we hoped for. 
There are other motivations, but those often surface, don't they? I'm not sure what issues in the church James is addressing here, but the outcomes are not good, are they? We see disagreements, we see fights, even murder. Now this may seem extreme, but remember the teachings of Jesus, which James is drawing heavily on. Jesus said, didn't he, in Matthew 5, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment too. Jesus sets the bar high and James follows along with that. You know, let's be honest, there are always going to be people and situations that rub us up the wrong way, okay? We're human, we will get rubbed up the wrong way, At the moment, we're struggling with our dog. Uh, We love our dog, but she is driving us crazy of late, okay? James asks, what causes these fights and arguments amongst you? Where's it all coming from? And his answer is that it's coming from your desires, desires that battle within You see, I was thinking about this, and I wonder if this is a truism. This is, you heard it here first, if you want to quote this, I believe it's an original uh, from me, but I'm sure plenty of people have said it before. (laughs) But I was thinking the outer battles that we have often manifest the inner battles that we have. It's that inner to outer life, isn't it? You remember when we were looking at the power of the tongue, Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And for those of you who have read um, some of Romans before, Paul's great at this, isn't he? In Romans 7, Paul talks about there being an inner battle within us, that the thing that we want to do, we don't end up doing and the things we don't want to do those are the things we keep on doing anyone relate to that few nods good it's not just me that's good to know (laughs) now last week we were thinking about worldly wisdom and heavenly wisdom from James and the way of the world the way of the self is often force it's looking out for number one it's dog eat dog It's survival of the fittest. And you can often see this come into its own when people are pushed into a corner. Not always, but sometimes. It made me chuckle that um, uh, Janine didn't know this, but when Janine mentioned, you know, washing the hands um, and singing the happy birthday song during COVID, okay? I remember, and you'll remember this the moment I say it, do you remember the toilet rolls? Yeah? Do you remember the toilet rolls? How many people were hoarding toilet rolls? Do you remember when people would go into the supermarket and they would grab as many toilet rolls as they possibly could? Do you remember that? I mean, I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. What a ridiculous situation. And it was just panic mode, wasn't it? Fear, panic. 
But what did it induce? It induced this worldly wisdom, didn't it? Selfishness. I will get what I need. And I was going to say something then. And forget everybody else, okay? It wasn't the words I was going to use, but it's essentially the mindset, isn't it? Now, James points out to these believers that they're looking out for themselves and they're trying to take what they want by force or manipulation rather than remembering to wait on God and ask him for what they need. If we can have um, the next slide, please. Or if they do think to ask God, they treat him like a genie in a bottle as they demand what they want. Their hearts and motives are not in the right place. It's completely focused inwards on their own pleasures and desires. But in contrast, the way of God, as we heard last week, his wisdom is first of all, peace-loving, gentle, humble, others-oriented. Just like last week, James is saying, that you can only serve one master. Either you chase after worldly wisdom or you seek after heavenly wisdom. But you can't do both because they oppose each other. They are exclusive. Oh, I was just gonna ask for the next slide, sorry, Nick. (laughs) Now, not so much the case at the moment, but when my children were in primary school, And for those of you who have had children or grandchildren or nieces or nephews that are young, you may have come across this where they are desperate to have a best friend. I think it's called BFF now. Best friend forever, okay? And when they were younger, my kids, they they got incredibly upset if their best friend chose to play with somebody else. And then they had to question, are they really my best friend anymore? I thought they were my best friend. Why are they not playing with me? Oh, the drama. Okay, we don't have so much drama like that now. Um, On that scale, it's a a lot worse actually. Now they're teenagers, I'll be honest. (laughs) It's a lot more complex. But um, there was this drama about having your best friend. And though we chuckle at this, It reminds us that exclusivity is the very essence of true relationship and marriage being a key example. If we can have the slide again. Now, for those of you um, that are married, I I don't know if you've ever had the dream. Have a look at the screen. Have you ever had that dream? Okay. That dream where you, you dream that your spouse has cheated on you. Ever had that dream? It's not just me, is it? (laughs) And you wake up and you realize it's a dream, but you look at them. How dare you? I can't believe you do that to me. And they're like, you're right, you're right. And you're like, yeah, yeah, fine. But you just can't look at them in the same way for at least 10 minutes. Do you know that feeling? You just feel so betrayed, so hurt. Oh, why would they do that to me? It was a dream, it's okay, but you feel it, oh, you feel it. Whether it's in books, 
films or our favorite soaps, we've all seen the inevitable fallouts that come from adultery. And sadly, some of us have seen the heartache and mess of this in our own lives, or those in the lives of those close to us. We've seen the relationship break down. As I said, exclusivity is key to a good relationship. And when this is compromised, so is the relationship in question. And our relationship with God has often been compared in the scriptures to a marriage between God and his people, a marriage covenant, a relationship that is exclusive. And if we read the passage today, the passage in James today, in the light of such understanding, then it begins to make more sense and becomes more relatable. You see, God wants an exclusive relationship with you. This day and age, I mean, I say this day and age, but it's, it's, there's nothing new under the sun, isn't there? But, you know, this day and age, um, exclusivity is very much being challenged. Do you really need to be monogamous? Do you really need to just have one? You know, and we've seen people in multiple relationships at once. And I'll be honest, I don't think it always goes the way they hope it does. But God, whether it's popular or not, and God's not particularly interested in being popular, <laughs> he wants an exclusive relationship with you. As we thought about when we came to communion, he made the first move. It says in Romans, doesn't it? God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if we can have the slide up again, please. When we said yes to Christ's proposal to us, we, become, we became new creations. We said goodbye to the old ways, the worldly ways, as on the screen from last week. And we embrace the fullness of life that Christ offers us, the heavenly wisdom, the work of his spirit. But as we remember, and as we've already touched on today, there is a battle taking place for our affection and our devotion. We live in the world and therefore um, we've been courting the world for many years. Often going along with its wisdom without even thinking about it. There is a battle going on for our souls, for our affection and for our loyalty. And so when we go back to the world, to the worldly wisdom and the worldly ways, um, we are essentially committing adultery. That's what James says. We are cheating on God. Which is why James challenges such worldly behavior at the start of this passage by saying, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Often when um, Kate and I have watched a film or a soap opera or whatever, whatever it may be, when there's someone, it's a bit like the dream, when there's someone that's cheated on somebody else in the film or on the soap opera, without fail, I mean, I could set my watch by it, 
Kate often turns to me and she looks at me and she says, if you ever cheat on me, I will kill you. See, I'm trying my best to live by the fear of God, but it's more the fear of Kate, actually, that that drives me. Um, But she says it nearly every time I can set my watch by it. But in that same way that Kate would not only be heartbroken but incredibly furious with me if I decided to go off with another. So God feels that much, much more deeply for those of us who have given ourselves to him, who have said yes to his proposal to us, and then we've gone back and indulged in worldly ways. James says that when we do this, we actually produce enmity with God. That's not great, is it? And I think if we think about it on a relational level, we get it, don't we? Makes sense. But the driving force behind this is God's jealous love for each of us. In verse 5, James says, Do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in you? Or that the spirit he caused to dwell in us envies intensely? Or that the spirit he caused to dwell in us longs jealously? Now perhaps it's strange for us to think of God getting jealous like a jilted lover as we perhaps maybe see that as a worldly kind of way of being. But just as there is a righteous anger, there is also a righteous jealousy. And this jealousy is born out of his great love for us. A love so strong that it did not spare his one and only son. A love that loved to the extreme even to death on a cross, even before it was even reciprocated, appreciated, acknowledged. And when it was reciprocated by us, when we said yes to Jesus and all that he's done for us, we received his spirit. And God's spirit is jealous for us. He wants our whole selves. We become one with God. In the same way two people in a marriage come together in union. God yearns for us with a jealous love. He wants perfect union with us. He wants to give us fullness of life. But worldly ways and wisdom like so many temptations, are often subtle and they creep up on us slowly. And before we know it, we're immersed in something we never meant to be in. In 1 Peter, um, he says this, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's an image, isn't it? Now, there is someone that opposes God and his purposes, and his name is the devil. He makes great boasts about what he can give you. 
and he implants in your thinking that God doesn't really want you to be happy or content, but is robbing you of all the fun stuff. But Jesus said that the devil is a thief. He says he's a thief that comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come, says Jesus, that you may have life and have it to the full. With the devil's persuasion, we often reverse this truth that God is stealing and killing our fun, but that the world can offer us a fullness of life that's immediate and fulfilling. But many that have truly indulged in worldly ways soon realize that money, sex, drink, drugs, food, popularity, wealth, success, or whatever else it might be that we chase, don't truly offer the fullness of life they promised. There is still an emptiness, an ache for wholeness. But there is hope. The scriptures repeat the wonderful truth that we looked at last term when we looked at God having a name, that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. That is who God is. And where sin abounds, his grace abounds all the more. That's wonderful to remember, isn't it? And as it says in verse six of James four, he gives us more grace. And so in light of this, James reminds us of two wonderful and powerful promises. Firstly, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. That's what James tells us. When we're tempted, and some temptations are very strong, very ingrained, it's easy to believe that we are powerless and that we can't say no. But if we are in Jesus, we have the power to resist. One theologian said, the devil is a coward when he is resisted with the prayer that claims the victory of Jesus on the cross over sin. He knows he is beaten. We just remind him, you're beaten. You've got no power here. It's not about our ability alone to muster up the willpower to say no all the time but it's about our ability to rest in the power of what Jesus has already done and to have people around us who will pray for us and support us and see us through. That's why community is so important. Secondly, James reminds us that if we choose to draw near to God, as we've heard this morning, he will draw near to us. That's a promise, that if we choose to humble ourselves and draw near to God, he will draw near to us. When we turn back to God, repent, humble ourselves, he gives us his favor, his grace, his forgiveness. Remember, where sin increases, his grace increases all the more. Many relationships struggle 
to recover from one bout of infidelity. But God is so gracious, so full of love and mercy, that every time we realize the error of our ways and turn back to him, he is already waiting with arms wide open. How wonderful is that? 2 Timothy says, if we are faithless, God remains faithful because he cannot disown himself. You see, such love is hard for us to get our head around because we haven't necessarily experienced that before. It's not the way the world works. But this is the love of God. And Tom Wright reminds us that God longs to establish a relationship with you that is deeper, stronger, and more satisfying than anything you could ever imagine. Such a relationship like any other that is worth anything will take time to develop and cultivate. But he asks us the question, what could be more worthwhile than that? So as we finish, I just want to pray a prayer of surrender by Richard Foster. And if you want to say amen at the end, that just means that you're saying, yeah, amen, I agree, yes to that. That's what I want. So let's just take a moment to to pause and to pray before we sing our final song together. Today, O Lord, I give myself back to you. May your will be my delight today. May you have perfect sway in me. May your love be the pattern of my living. I surrender to you my hopes, my dreams, my ambitions. Do with them what you will, when you will, as you will. I place into your loving care my family, my friends, my future. Care for them with a care that I can never give. I release into your hands my need to control, my craving for status, my fear of obscurity. Eradicate the evil, purify the good, and establish your kingdom on earth. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen.